Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Winning strategies, nuggets of wisdom, unforgettable stories, all in one inspirational hour. Springboard your virtual university with Albert and Comfort Okran and guests. Planning is bringing the future into the present. A job is for the salaries, mundane, survival oriented, and there's no passion. But a career has fulfillment, innovation, drive. A growth path is clear, and you can build step by step all the way to the top. Matriculate at 7 p.m. and graduate at 8 p.m. every Sunday on Joy 99.7 FM and live on Facebook. Springboard is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy and Joy 99.7 FM and proudly sponsored by MTN, Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, and Axis Pension Trust with support from the graphic business. But it's not like I'm nosy. I'll go out to find out the latest filler. It's just that I get 50 megabytes of data free after paying for only the first minute of every call. And so I just keep discovering stuff minute after minute. That's how come I was minding my business, scrolling through my timeline, and I found out Coco has a new baby. Hmm. Oh, and last week, I learned Ken won the lottery. You see, Ken is my brother's friend. So hello. Look who's about to roll with the rich and famous. <laughs> Enjoy even more value with MTN Free After One. You only pay for the first minute of your call on MTN Free After One. And the rest is free. Plus, you enjoy free 50 megabytes worth of data to browse your favorite sites. Open where? Open there. So dial star 3155 to sign up. We pay for you everywhere you go. Terms and conditions apply. In these uncertain times, we have discovered that most workers do not have any financial fallback for emergencies. That should not be our story. If you're looking to improve your financial situation or you simply need more information to make the right financial decisions, then look no further. Join the Access Smart Money Talk, a weekly interactive session hosted by Access Pension Trust. On Smart Money Talk, we feature industry experts to cover various personal finance topics, as well as everyday Ghanaians to share their personal finance story. Join us each and every Wednesday at 4 p.m. on Facebook Live to be empowered to achieve financial peace of mind. Access Pension Trust, your reliable partner in pensions. UMB was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we're poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. Yeah. 
When you don't have the Enterprise Advantage app, you're not in control. Boss. Yes, Akwesi. I'm at where they sell the coats. What size do you like? Ah, what coat? Coat, coat, office coat. Ah, I said get me a coat. Quotation from Enterprise. Ah, you pan. Oh, what coat? Save yourself from the stress. Take advantage of the Enterprise Advantage app. Make your claims, check statements, request for a coat, and buy a policy from any of our subsidiaries. What's more, you can also get health tips, traffic information, find mechanic shops, and more on your Enterprise Advantage app. Download the Enterprise Advantage app on Google Play and Apple Store now. Here is to 95 years of trust. Enterprise, your advantage. Welcome to the big conversation on Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran, and I welcome you on behalf of the virtual academic board comprising Comfort, Matthew, Priscilla, Yao, Emmanuel, and Papa Yao. Tonight is my honor to welcome a man who sleeps, eats, and drinks technology. A few years ago, he modeled a scenario of how Springboard Roadshow could actually hit a million people with one event. And the rest, as they say, is history. It actually came to pass. Kofi Daz is in the studio tonight. Kofi, good to see you. Thank you, Albert. It's good to be here. It's just such a wonderful moment. And I'm going to come to our subject of discussion very shortly. But I want to say a big thank you to you for coming. You're most welcome. And I'm happy to have an opportunity to participate. Wow. Right. So, Springboard is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy and your superstition during 99.7 FM with proud sponsorship from some of Ghana's finest brands, MTN, MTN Pulse, Just Be, the Enterprise Group, Enterprise, Your Advantage, UMB Bank, UMB Speed Up, Diggy Bank, Let's Go, and Access Pension Trust, your reliable partner in pensions. We want to salute our friends at the graphic business for providing support every single week all year through and so on page 18 of the graphic business you will find a full transcript of tonight's all-important discussion we want to open up the subject of leadership in uncertain times and every single conversation brings a new dimension let me welcome all of you joining us also on facebook as well as on radio so kufida has co-founded rankard which grew exponentially to distribute content in 25 countries on three continents and in more than 80 languages. He recently transitioned from leadership as CEO of the company to the MasterCard Foundation, our big partners on the core program, and his focus on empowering young African women and men to access dignified and fulfilled work in the digital economy. He is a fellow of the African Leadership Initiative and the Aspen Global Leaders Network, also 
serving on Ashesi University's Corporate Advisory Council and then also on the IC Asset Managers. I love one thing about Kofi. He loves coffee just like me, in addition to his technology, and also loves karate, studying ancient military history, and then finding parallels in the scriptures. Kofi, tonight we want to look at leadership in uncertain times and zero in on what I know you are passionate about, ancient history. So what we'll try to do is to find out which examples fascinate you in history and what lessons can we learn from them that are as applicable in 2020 as they were in whichever year you choose. But before we even go to your selection, which is always a big area of interest, how would you in a minute describe this beautiful year called 2020? It's a um, beautiful year indeed. Um, and I know um, it doesn't feel that way. But it's a year that presents certain opportunities which are on the flip side of the crisis we feel. So um, Sometimes you want to think of a coin on which one side is crisis, but the other side of it is opportunity. And heroes flip the coin and land on the opportunity side. It's a year for heroes. It's a year in which when we look back, we will see those who had a heroic response to helping us figure out how to turn to the positive side, to the opportunistic side of what's been an amazing crisis world over. So we've been trying to look at uncertain times in business. We've we've done something in personal life. We've done something in education. So we had Salam Adadibo of MTN looking at business, Abiola Bewolf of UBA Bank looking also at business and personal life. We had education with Patrick, your good friend and your karate partner. And then last Karate Sensei. He's your boss. Absolutely. All right. Very important I mentioned that if not your next rehearsal, (laughs) you'll be disciplined. (laughs) All right. And then the the last one was with Dr. Joyce. Are you looking at biblical versus contemporary? Mm -hmm. We chose to do historical versus contemporary Contemporary. because I know you love history. Now, what, what I would like to find out, which characters would you be focusing on for your preliminary thoughts today? Right. So I, I looked at a number of characters. Um, and as you mentioned, one of the things I enjoy to do is to find the parallels between um, history recorded in, um, say, an, an academic context with what you find in scripture. Do you like history when you're in school? I or was a late addition. I think it was a late addition. Um, it's something that over the past eight, nine years um, has been one of the sources that I go to when I'm trying to understand what life is about, what nationhood is about, what technology is about. There's, there's a deep thread of the culture of technology embedded in history. So, so who did you choose? Well, so I, I looked at David, King David in the Bible. I looked at Gaius Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus. I looked at one of my very favorites, Alexander the Great. Um, I looked at Yasantua. I looked at Florence Nightingale. Um, And I think we can dial through one of Alexander's stories and then look at what Florence Nightingale um, contributed so that we have one man, one woman in two different eras in history. I hope that we will get to touch on the answer to a bit because there must be Ghanaian context as well. Absolutely. Right. So let's let's have ten minutes of your preliminary thoughts and then we begin to digest the issues. Sure. So let's start with Alexander, and um, perhaps we should give it a little context. So Alexander is king of Macedon. And he's the son of Philip II of Macedon, who had uh, managed to create um, the League of Corinth, which is a a confederation of Greek city-states after he'd been able to conquer Athens and Thebes. 
So what Alexander's father has left him is a large army of which he is the commander-in-chief. So Alexander proceeds to annex the Persian Empire. So let's catapult to 333 BC and um, the great battle of Issus, which is uh, around um, in the province of modern-day Turkey. Alexander has conquered the Persian king Darius and his armies there. And so he is proceeding to consolidate the territories which comprise the Persian Empire. So he descends into what we call today the Levant. This is the area of Syria, Lebanon, Israel. And um, as he proceeds on that route, he passes the city of Sidon. Then he arrives at the two-part city of Tyre. There is the part on the mainland, and then there is an island. So, um, as had been happening, the city, at least on the mainland, capitulated to him. And that was what was happening as he was going along. So, some of the consolidation of territories was doing. He didn't even have to fight battles anymore because his reputation was large. But, um, so, old Tyre is on the mainland. New Tyre is an island, but it's a twin city, so to speak. Um, New Tyre, which is, which, has, which is a heavily fortified island with its own navy, decides that uh, they will hold out against him. And um, Alexander faced what was one of the most significant crises of that battle or that campaign, that military campaign was going after. One of the things, Albert, which I have noted about heroes in times of uncertainty, heroes in times of difficulty, is that they are audacious, they are relentless. They are relentless in defying the odds that are presented to them. But the audacity that they come with is sometimes seen as impunity, disrespect. You know, there are established structures and orders, things that they should not be able to move or shift. But often, they have a vision, a dream, or a belief system, which for them is far bigger than whatever odds they encounter. And when I say far bigger, far bigger in their heart and in their minds. So whatever horrendous obstacle they encounter does not supplant the dream, the vision, or that passion or belief system which they are made of. So this is Alexander, but it's also a crisis, not only because his reputation as a conqueror is being challenged, but New Tyre represents a naval system which if he is unable to conquer and consolidate his ambition and the military campaign to annex the Persian Empire would be thwarted. So after all the big battles he's fought, after the defeat of the Persian king Darius III, losing obviously many soldiers, bloodshed and all of that, here is this one city holding out and challenging the entire work. Now, what Alexander did not have at that moment was a large navy that he could use to overcome the island navy. So he's standing on the mainland about 700 meters, nearly a kilometer out in the ocean. Is this city defying him? So what does Alexander do? He changes the geography of the Levant. He proceeds to build a land bridge into the ocean, a mole, a causeway. By destroying the part of Tyre on the mainland and taking the rubble from the destruction and beginning to pour it into the ocean. Now, as he's building out this causeway from the mainland into the ocean, 700 meters out, as he's about halfway through, the Tyrant Navy comes out, you know, destroys his defenses, you know, attacks 
the workers beats him back. But one of the things we note about the heroes we study is a relentlessness. In fact, they rise most when challenged. It's at the peak of the crisis that you see what they are made of. So he persists and for six months continues to build out this land bridge into the ocean, reaches the island eventually, conquers them, reduces it, achieves that. Now, some heroes will shift a geographical system in the great crisis they face to overcome it. Some heroes will go after other things. It will be maybe a scientific breakthrough. And if we look at the times we're in, it's that kind that we're most looking for, the scientific. So let's leave Alexander at the point where he's conquered the Persian king. He's faced this major crisis at the island, then island of Tyre. It's no longer an island. He does his amazing geographic feat. And let's shift from 333 BC. Let's test another story of how heroes respond to great uncertainties. Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale was born in Florence in Italy. She came from a wealthy English family, um, an upper class family, so to speak, in that society in the time. But she felt her divine calling was to be a nurse. Now, her parents forbade her from pursuing nursing. But in her audacity, and I'm I'm not encouraging um, children to um, disobey their parents as as a heroic act. But in her case, that was her first heroic act to decide to pursue what she believed was her divine calling. Florence Nightingale is since known or considered as the founder of modern nursing. So what happens? She gets thrust into a situation after nursing school and after her first um, encounter in the practice of work. In a situation during a cholera and typhoid outbreak where as she's working in a hospital with a team, she, and you know, and and if you understand the way in which a cholera outbreak occurs, um, you end up having significantly unsanitary conditions. But through her dedicated nursing work, she figures out and learns that if she's able to conquer the sanitation situation, she's able to significantly reduce the death toll and the impact of the disease. So she learns this. In fact, she herself, upon um, you know, helping fight the disease outbreak, she herself also fell ill. And she's barely recovering from this illness when she gets commissioned to go out into Constantinople to a British military hospital in Scutari during the Crimean War of 1853. The Crimean War is when the British were fighting the Russians for control of the Ottoman Empire. Again, this is in modern-day Turkey. So we've propelled ourselves into almost the same geography where we left Alexander. So she's there. She's rallied about 30, 34 other nurses to go out with her into the field of war. And there's about 18,000 over the span of the war, 18,000 British soldiers who are ill. And again, she comes to realize that the unsanitary conditions are killing far more soldiers than the injuries incurred in battle. But the beautiful thing that she does is to not only scrub the hospital clean and change the circumstances there and save the lives of many soldiers, But she takes the next step of developing the statistics and the evidence of what she found that if she could change the sanitary conditions of the hospital, she would save so many men. In fact, 
she, she reduced the death rate by two-thirds and eventually was able to account for more than a 90% improvement or decrease in the death rates due to the sanitary conditions that she was able to impose. But here's the brilliant thing she did. She took the statistics of the situation she studied and she developed a beautiful graph visualization of the statistics that when she presented to the war leaders was so clear and compelling that everybody understood it and it changed not only their behavior in terms of reforming how the British Army managed their field hospitals, but it was reprinted and republished so many times and distributed to the public and introduced a whole new learning about the power of sanitation to reduce the spread of infectious disease and to reduce the death rate. She died in 1910, and 2020 apparently was declared as the bicentennial by the WHO for the field of midwifery and nursing. And look at the situation we are in today, where we have encountered not only the power of basic things like hand washing to reduce the spread of disease, something that she played a profound role in, but also the use of numbers, statistics in epidemiology and public health management, the use of graphs and visualization to help people understand how their behavior can change their outcomes. And that's a hero of uncertain times, a hero who was thrust into a war situation where soldiers and their thousands were dying a hero who had been through cholera and typhoid, had learned how to contain it, had fallen ill but survived it, and has been able to show the world, has changed the world of nursing. So these are the two heroes which I think wow. we can contemplate. Wow. Is it allowed to clap for Springboard? Beautiful <laughs> stories. Two very, very wonderful stories. And I know you are listening and telling yourself, if I had known history was this funky, I would have stayed in my history class and not run away to go and block our phone cats. We're going to go for a brief break. When we come back, let's unpack the lessons from Alexander the Great and from Florence Nightingale. I didn't get Yasantua, but we'll, we'll branch, we'll make a detour into Yasantua and find correlation. Who knows? Epidemiology can be found in the Ashanti Empire. Talking about the core program, just to remind you that this week, on the e-learning program, on the core program, we are looking at developing mental strength for crisis moments. And our facilitator is Reverend Albright Esiwome Baniben. So he'll be talking about how to find mental strength in difficult moments. Six very important keys. And he'll also be sharing some very practical exercises to be able to situate yourself in this pandemic and chart your way forward. Find us on a radio or TV station near you or go to their website core.com.gh and you will find the various episodes both in video and in audio. The good news is that if you participate in these courses and do 20 out of 24 in the 15-minute courses, you will get a certificate of participation in the core program and that is another exciting part. Core, we're learning together and growing together and core is brought to us by Springboard Roadshow Foundation in partnership with Solidaridad and the MasterCard Foundation. Welcome back to Springboard, your virtual university, and to this wonderful conversation. We call it the big conversation here on Springboard as we focus our attention on historical lessons and their application or applicability in contemporary times. My guest tonight, Kofi Dazi, What's now with the MasterCard Foundation? We've known him over the years as the co-founder of Rankard, and he's really um, one of the the big faculty here at the Virtual University because anytime he comes around, he brings clear perspectives about what can be done. So, could you let me find um, some lessons from your two stories. Three clear themes stand out, and I'm sure that you can easily... Um, distill them as audacity which you call the type of audacity that can easily be seen as arrogance he talked about relentlessness relentlessness in pursuing your vision and defying the odds presented to you and then he talked about vision, a dream and a belief system that does not see the obstacles but just keeps focused 
on the goals. Those are the three big themes, correct? Absolutely. Okay, so ARV, audacity, relentlessness, and vision. vision. Let me roll back to these three lessons as they applied in the, in the life of Alexander. So, um, Kofi, my big learning from Alexander, I love the way he told the story. It makes history look very, very nice. But my big lesson from Alexander is that he chose a very unconventional solution to the problem confronting him. Can you situate this lesson in the, in the light of COVID or contemporary times and the kinds of challenges that businesses, nations, individuals, families, churches are facing in COVID-19? You see, he was find unconventional ways or different ways to solve their problems. Can you explain this this um, projection from the mainland, breaking um, buildings, pouring rubble into the sea and charting a 700 meter um, mm-hmm. bridge? Can you speak about that? Two things stand out for me when studying Alexander. The first one is connected to audacity. Right. The second one is yet another theme that we'll find about heroes is the team they are with. So for Alexander, and especially for those of us of the Christian faith, this is notable. Alexander's audacity was not only based on his kingship um, and what his father had bequeathed him in the League of Corinth, so the military might and the training he had available to him. It was not only in the fact that he he'd had the most, um, you know, brilliant pedagogy in that his teacher was Aristotle, but that Alexander believed that he was partly divine. And so he believed that he was no ordinary man. And what so, was it, What was the basis of that belief? So his mother, Olympias, had convinced him that his true father was not Philip II of Macedon, the king, but it was Zeus. (laughs) You know, I love Greek mythology. You know, I I didn't get to to do history. I mean, how many history books have you read? How many have you read about some of the people that you have? Yeah, um, now I'd say um, over 100. And and for the main characters I study, I've had to read multiple texts and volumes from different authors to piece together. Who's, who's the character you've read about the most? So I've I've read probably Julius Caesar. And how many Julius Caesar books? Um, probably twenty books. One character, twenty books. In fact, for Julius Caesar in particular, I've read about twelve books on his conquest of. Gaul alone, because um, he wrote a lot. Uh, he, in in some cases, it was his memoirs. In some cases, it was reporting back to the Senate in Rome on the battles, and sometimes to raise money for his campaigns and all of that. But One of my favorite all-time books, without a doubt, is the Odyssey. Yes, and the Iliad. Those two yes. combinations of the Greek, absolutely, the Greek Trojan Wars and the fallouts there often, Achilles and the wooden horse of Troy, and and the, and the Greek gods and, and and the interplay between gods and men. So when you mentioned that the mother had convinced him, my mind went straight to that, and I said that must be it. And let's talk about that briefly because it takes us back to the Turkish region again, right? Which is where Iraq. Well, the Iliad. Right. Ilium right. is Troy. Right. And its historical, archaeological placement puts it in the, the Turkish region. Um, and even though classical historians generally put it in the category of myth and legend, many of the kings and the cities they represented, Mycenae, Sparta, who showed up there, are historically accurate and represented. What baffles many people and categorizes that in myth and legend is that the level of heroism that the Achilles and the others who participated, the other kings, Menelaus and Agamemnon, the things that happened there, King Priam and his sons Hector and others, is 
is what baffles us. And, and sometimes we just find that when we hear of these fantastical, heroic stories, we, we, we're, we we're so quick to count them as an answer right. But I think sometimes we should look into them and look for what it is that heroism is about and why our world needs heroes, why we need to be able to confront difficult and challenging times with heroic acts. You were trying to trace the impact of Alexander's perspective that he was divine. How did that influence his behavior? So, when he was finally convinced, because he didn't initially believe his mother's theory, when he went and convinced himself that he was, then he started to live it out. So, if he was semi-divine, and if he wasn't as other men, then he didn't have to be confronted with challenges in the way normal men would be. So he had to literally maintain his divine reputation and for him that is what audacity translated to. So his level of audacity was way above the normal simply because he believed he was divine. What's happening here? I talked earlier about the belief system of heroes. That's what we tied to their Mm -hmm. vision. Mm -hmm. They have a vision and or a belief system that in their hearts and minds is far larger than any obstacle they face. So when they face the obstacles that typically challenge, stop, defeat many of us, they don't see them. They see what it is that they are made of. They see something that is far larger. And one of the points I was trying to make is that for those of us of a Christian faith, we're supposed to have a similar outlook on obstacles in life. So a sense of divinity. We're supposed to be able to tap to the tap into the God in us. So faced with COVID, you see the obstacle, but you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would that be similar to what you're talking about? So basically, look at what it is that's in your hand, what you do. Maybe you're not a warrior like Alexander was. Maybe you're a nurse like Florence Nightingale was. Or maybe you are a business person. Or maybe you are in the context of a parent or a relative of somebody who is challenged one way or the other. Heroism happens not only on large battlefields, but heroism has opportunity every day in our lives in the context of whatever challenge faces us for who we are. So the thing is when those challenging circumstances come against us. And so, of course, in the year of COVID-19, it comes at us in all kinds of ways. It's how we respond. And how we respond is based on what we believe. And what we believe is tied to what we see, vision-wise. Not what we see physically, but what we see that is larger than the physical obstacles. Let, let's, let's do a bit of Florence Nightingale so we don't... Um, um, lean too much on one, one person and leave out sure. another. So, so with Forest Nightingale, let, taking out the parental part, I think mm-hmm. I, I think I, I am, the lesson comes out better when we situate it outside the, the 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 context of parents and look at the bigger picture of how people will sometimes try to prevent you from doing what you believe is your divine calling. But is there a correlation between divine calling and the sense of divinity that exactly. you mentioned Exactly. And, and I think that's a key to understand. It's one thing to pursue a career. It's another thing to pursue a divine calling mm. as a career. And I, I think, well, it, it, it ultimately goes back to the belief bit. There's something you believe deeply. But you can relate this to being a pastor, but... Take a tech guru. Mm-hmm. COVID obviously has, has created demand for technological solutions. And by the way, if I may push you a bit, mm-hmm. a year ago mm-hmm. at Springboard, I, it must have been March. I, was it the 16th? That's correct. Um, at, the, at the Grand Global Convocation. Convocation, yes, I remember. You made a brilliant presentation on technology. And mm-hmm. in the keynote address, mm-hmm. yourself and Salom, had done extremely well in your presentations. And the total to a challenge to you and said, come back to me when technology has been has been adequately applied to the day-to-day common needs mm-hmm. of the Ghanaian. 
in areas like education, healthcare, and the food of agriculture, transport, agriculture, etc. That's right. Are you looking for Pastor Tobu to tell him that it's been done? <laughs> it's being worked on. Right. Um, I think Pastor Otabel's challenge had so much clarity. It was a clarion call. And in many ways, I was challenged by that. And in my own personal transition from my entrepreneurial work and what I'm exploring in some of the work I'm doing today at the MasterCard Foundation, in many ways, that's what I'm pursuing. I am looking for opportunities for how technology can play the role technology, by the way, is supposed to play. Technology is not supposed to be something we simply acquire. Technology is a culture. And for many of our heroes, if we look into their stories, they have people who deploy technology to respond to those challenges. Including building a bridge from the mainland to the sea. So what's amazing is that their technologists are amongst those who are named. And we know in history that the names that survive are those around whom the great stories are told. So the gentleman who actually constructed that bridge into the sea, who was following Alexander, is called Diadis of Pella. His name is recorded in history for the great, for the great responses that he was able to bring in military technology for Alexander to accomplish many of the feats he led on. Let's look at epidemiology and the case of Florence Nightingale. That's right. Two thirds, reducing the death rate by two thirds and ultimately by 90%. Mm-hmm. And you see, it was a simple thing like sanitary conditions. It's almost like, tell me, history. Is there anything that we have faced today we haven't seen before? So what's amazing and even more significant is that Florence Nightingale didn't simply apply what she learned in the hospital where she worked and leave it there. She did the statistics, she did the numbers of it, what in many cases today we'll find different levels of the work in public health and epidemiology confronting. But she also developed what's called the Nightingale Rose Diagram, a graphic visualization built on the numbers that would be so compelling and convincing that it changed behavior way beyond even the military system and the hospitals. I think that was a core part of her heroic act. Because today, we are doing what is data science and machine learning, which is ultimately taking numbers taking data, taking large, massive data streams and doing predictive analysis, trying to understand not only what has happened, but trying to determine what may happen so that we are able to achieve desirable outcomes. And it's amazing when we see that thread of technology, which is ultimately has to be, and this is the point Dr. Otabo was making that I understood, it has to be applied to our most critical problems so that we change lives for the better. And unless we're applying technology to shift systems, be it geographic or scientific, in our case, in a country like in Ghana, we still have to use technology and use it in our hands locally, in our nuanced context, with the understanding of Ghanaian technologists to change health outcomes, to change outcomes in food and agriculture, to change outcomes in education. I want to come back to you and then we'll talk about, you, see, you are looking at what we could do, but let's look at what we have done already and ask ourselves, how, how well have we responded? And are there success stories? I'm going to ask you, what is the most heroic response you've seen this year in this COVID era? And we will stay with the, the issue of divine perspective. I, I like the team. Feeling a divine calling. Let's find out how a technologist can feel a divine calling. A farmer can feel a divine calling. A doctor can feel a divine calling. And whatever you are doing, whichever profession you find yourself in, will help us understand how you can also feel a divine calling in your work and how that feeling can guide you and help you to excel in every single thing that you do. Let me give Kofi a minute to catch his breath and remind us all of the Maiden Core Conference. 
that takes place this Tuesday. And this Tuesday, wherever you are in this world, 22nd of September, a day after the birth of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, 22nd September 2020, on Zoom, on Facebook, digitally online, from 10 a.m. till 12 noon, the theme strategy in uncertain times. We'll borrow a few thoughts from the discussion we are having tonight, but the speakers are Dr. Daniel Sedo, business consultant, Selina Bakumensa of Celibet Design. She's into fashion, will share her perspectives. Gombilla, the poet, will join us from Canada with poetry, and I will share some perspectives as well. You can join us with your thoughts, your questions, your ideas, your concepts as we explore strategy in uncertain times. Springboard your virtual university into the big conversation with Kofi Dazim, my friend and my brother. And he's been telling us about a certain thread that runs through all heroes. And you are a hero. It doesn't matter whether you are broke by virtue of COVID or not, you are a hero. And so you are a hero or a heroine, whichever way you want to look at it. And he's been telling us about Alexander the Great and Florence Nightingale and the attributes that he thinks they share in common. The first being audacity, the second one being relentlessness, the third one being vision. He mentioned briefly teamwork, but he ended on a note of a certain belief system that has a divine perspective that what you do is, is put there by God and therefore nothing, absolutely nothing can stop you. Do you feel that divine, that divine feeling yourself that what you do is is is, is put there by God? I personally, I would say I'm constantly searching for it. There are times when um, I do feel it, depending specifically on what I'm working on, what I'm exploring. Um, but for me, I'm still searching. For it, and I have come to understand that you have to search until you have grasped it. Do you have find this? I'd say you must, even if it takes some oh. heroic action. You must. Is it something you may end up pursuing all your life and find it incrementally and never finish finding? Perhaps. Have you ever made a big decision that you know this one? It is just because you think it's a divine calling. I think I have. I'm not sure I can come up with an example immediately. But just before the break, um, you made a comment on what came to mind in terms of COVID-19 heroes. Is um, something personal that struck me um, a few months ago. And I think this is a story and a context that there will be probably a number of other people out there who... Um, are experiencing or are in. But <clears throat> my mother's older sister is about 74, 75 years old. She's a doctor. And at the height of our experience of the pandemic in Ghana, um, some of us reached out to her and asked her, are you sheltering in place at home, staying safe? Our concern was that at that age, there is a level of vulnerability. And she said to us, no, she was in the hospital working. And we tried to encourage her to pull back. And what she said to us was, she feels this is a privilege to be out there at a time like this, to respond to a need like this. And that should she succumb under the circumstance, it would be the honor of her life and her work. What's her name? She's Dr. Dosina Sechi. Dr. Dosina Sechi, on Springboard, your virtual university, we salute you for that submission, that statement that inspired my brother. And I'm sure many listening to you tonight are inspired by those thoughts. Many listening to you tonight who have done similar sacrifices are inspired. Because we did a show, um, three past show on um, medical frontline personnel and the behind the scenes stories of what they were going through. And it was a tearful show mm-hmm. as people talked about how, in the course of their work, they got infected, they survived, and they still kept pushing. And one thing was certain 
it left me with a very deep sense of respect for the medical profession. I, I thought about becoming a doctor and abandoned it, but I have a deep respect for medical professionals um, as a result of COVID. And I think that uh, Dr. Siji's story tell is another example of how so many people work so hard to make us safe That's today right. and we can't take them for granted. That's right. Let's push on further to, and, and, and it must be also your, 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 the response you describe sits within this divine thing that you described. you feeling that it's a calling, it's a calling. not just a career that you are doing. Exactly. The same thing that Florence Nightingale felt and you see Alexander felt Absolutely. and made him keep going. So let's go to, let's come home. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't do history and not talk Yasantua. That's right. Uh, the, would you situate these three audacity, relentlessness, vision, teamwork and a belief system that is unstoppable would you situate this in the Yasantua story as well? It's uh, phenomenally so I think of relentlessness as defying the odds and the fact that at the end of the battle she led, the battle of the golden stool that Yasantua led, the fact that she was defeated and captured and also exiled and yet her name lives on today tells you the level of the odds she was up against. As a woman, as a queen mother, King Premper I and a lot of the members of the Ashanti royal government had been exiled. And so she's in the midst of a secret meeting of remaining members of the government who are confronting the challenge of the British governor demanding the golden stool. And the men, the chiefs of Ashanti, as she addressed them, um, could not come up with or could not agree on a bold response. So, in fact, in her case, audacity came at two levels. Sometimes I think of audacity as righteous impudence. So there you see that divine thing again. Righteous impudence. I like the, the Because there is a deep belief that spares one in the face of... Um, great odds something stares up in you because she first of all invokes that a great people are the Ashanti so she believes that there's something great about them even though they are being oppressed so there's that belief in there that says even though my current circumstances look like this I defy it because I believe that it's the same same that David had when all of Israel Saul, big tall king and all those warriors were cowering before Goliath and he said no so that is ultimately what we need to be able to kindle right, is when all the evidence points to defeat is to be able to find something kindle something in us and ultimately that thing that we are able to kindle whether we are so eloquent as to call it that or otherwise, is divine. It's ultimately something that God has put in us. And Yasantua's challenge right there and then, which led to her leading the army to fight what was the penultimate war, a hundred years of war between the British and the Asantes, is something we continue to celebrate, something we are continuously inspired by. And that's what heroism is all about. Often, again, you will find that the heroes have their people around them. When we talk of, let's just jump quickly from Yasantua to David, and you remember the Giborim. Giborim being Hebrew for mightiest. David's mighty men. They defeated other Goliaths. In fact, other cousins of the giant as well. And there was this one guy. Um, is it Eliezer? who when Israel was retreating in the face of another Philistine army almost in defeat stood out and killed so many that his hand the got sword, stuck with the sword. Eliezer the son of Dudu. Eliezer the son of Dudu. There was another before him who killed 800, one man. Kofi, as we wrap up today, how do we box in a minute? How do we box all these lessons and put them on a plate for anyone listening tonight? How do you take these lessons and run with them in the midst of COVID 19? So, we've talked about audacity, and audacity is our response to great odds. 
how we, despite phenomenal barriers in front of us, because of something we believe in deeply, because of a vision we have, in our heart and in our minds, we believe that that which we're holding on to is far larger than the obstacles. And so even when we haven't yet found a solution, we come up with a determination to go for the goal. What I'd like to share most importantly is that that determination to go for the goal despite great odds is what causes this great mind that God has implanted in us to come up with the permutations of a solution. Technology itself is simply a response to how some challenges overcome. The culture of technology is also a culture of audacity. Technology is just the part where the mind and the hand go to craft a response. And I challenge all of us, while on the one hand we're learning with our hands how to craft solutions to respond to problems, be it in healthcare, be it in education, be it in agriculture, or whatever field of work we find ourselves in, to also learn to tap into the divine in us, to find that deep strength that should cause us when we see obstacles to instead see desirable outcomes that are larger than the obstacle, and then that will help us carve the path back to a solution to overcome those obstacles. Wow. Obstacles, solutions, and a divine perspective that is unstoppable. Those are the big lessons from Kofi Dazi tonight as we wrap up on the big conversation. A big thank you to you, Kofi, for joining us. There's something thank you very much, Alvin. Hanging out with you is always very surreal. History made easy. Now, if you missed your history class and you want to go back, you can learn history online. You can sign up to a history class somewhere and just or, or buy the books and read them yourself. He's read 20 Julius Caesar books. You can read them yourself and then catch up on history. But next week, join us for the final one in our series of big conversations. And I'm sure you will be equally thrilled by the conversation. Let me say a big thank you to MTN, MTN Pulse, Just Be, Enterprise Group, Enterprise Your Advantage, UMB Bank, UMB Speed Up, Digibank, Let's Go, and the Access Pension Trust, your reliable partner in pensions, for supporting us on this journey called Springboard Virtual University. A big thank you to the Graphic Business for the support. And thank you to you out there for joining us tonight. My name is Albert Okran. On behalf of the Virtual Academic Board, God bless you. God bless you. And God bless you. Good night.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.